Aftershocks TV, and we got a great one for you folks today as we're talking old school Bay Area thrash metal with a name that many of you remember from their debut full length, The Sane Asylum, back in 1988. They're here today to talk about their new release, titled Wrath of the Gods. From Blind Illusion, we got guitarist vocalist Mark Biederman, bassist Tom Gears, and guitarist Doug Pierce. You're joining me today. What's up, guys? Thanks for coming on. How you guys doing? Hey, doing great, man. For having us. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, guys. Well, you know, just to start things off, I normally don't quote press releases, but there's a couple of lines in there that I think I have to mention because I think it's spot on in regards to this record. And the first one I'll quote is where it states that this is a group of guys who know what diehard Thresh fans want to hear and they know how to put it on their 2022 album, Wrath of the Gods. I think that couldn't be any more spot on because when you listen to this record, it's obvious that you guys know what Thresh fans are really they what they really do want to hear and that's catchy as fuck riffs and hooks which are all over this record song after song i mean it never ends and it's a bit of a different musical direction obviously that the band took on this album compared to previous releases including uh the ep that came out about four or five years ago so guys let's start things off uh talk about uh wrath of gods i mean which i you know i i know you've put out obviously music since you say this album back in 88 there mark but i saw that it says you consider this to be the real follow-up from that release 34 years ago. So why is that? And why don't you consider all the other music you put out really a true follow-up to that classic? Well, well, that's a misunderstanding. What I'm saying is okay. that this is the album that destroys the same asylum. Gotcha. Okay. Everything else is a bridge that got us to this, you know? So, okay. I mean, there was music that we played back in the nineties that was like psychedelic survivor and, you know, land of the freaks and this stuff never hit the thrash zone and it was fairly metal had a lot of jazz and rock mm. and fusion in it and that was largely due to the fact that i could not find anybody who wanted to play thrash that could you know okay. and then uh around uh 2010 i guess it was or a little earlier a good friend of mine came up to me and he says hey man you know have, when was the last time that you heard the sane asylum and i said oh about 10 years ago he goes, oh, he was almost in tears. Got Phil, student of mine, and he says, Mark, I have a new cassette I just bought. Come over to my house tomorrow. You can stay while I go to work, and you can listen to it. It's a masterpiece. And I'm like, well, I'll be right on, man. He goes, no, Mark, you don't understand. You left everybody behind. They're playing that death noise on, on the, you know, the radio stations, and he hears Blind Blues on the satellite radio all the time. And I said, wow, are you sure? Really? Okay, so. Next day, I went and I listened to Yngwie first, the trilogy, and I thought, oh, that's great shit, right? And then I put on the Saint Asylum, and immediately I was like, holy shit, this is not just guitar flash. This is not just a good singer. This is like a whole songwriting package where, you know, each song of a Blind Illusion song, any normal band would make five songs out of it, you know, we go through all these mm -hmm. changes. But nonetheless, I was, I was nearly in tears myself, too, and I immediately took off and walked to El Sobrani to Danny Harcourt's house, who was a bass player that I had decided he was going to be the next bass player for Blind Illusion because he was within walking distance, you know? Okay. And, uh, and he had never been in it. He had not, not had any success other than being with Star Chaser and Aftermath for just short periods of time. And he was a more pocket kind of bass player, you know? So I went there and I said, hey, Danny, you know who the new bass player for Blind Illusion is? And he says, who? I said, you. He says, no, I'm not. I says, fuck you, man. You're the new bass player for Blind Illusion. I'm starting it back up. We're going to get a drummer and that's it, you know? 
And so I played some of the Saint Asylum for him, and he was like, what the hell? I, I can't play that. I said, well, we don't have to play that. I've got this other stuff. You know, I wrote a bunch of rock songs that he could play and that were very difficult for him. I mean, I spent hours and hours with him, and I brought him from here to here, you know? He mm -hmm. became very proficient. And so he was with the band for quite some time with Robert Nystrom from Aftermath days, and that was the Demon Master period. Now, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, the Demon Master was the third album because the medicine show Espionage in Hell was the second album. And while it was never completed or released, it still stands on its own. There's all those songs, you know, they are recorded in a demo mm -hmm. form. Nonetheless, after the Demon Master, I ran into Harold O. Harold O was like, uh, hey man, you know, what's going on? Did you know, uh, have, have you seen the book? The book, I go, well, what book? Uh, you know, Murder in the Front Row. I said, okay, Murder in the Front Row. I had just came from the hospital. I had my top two teeth pulled out because the infection was up to here. I went to the hospital, I says, you must pull the teeth now. I will sign a waiver saying if I die on the table because I have a fever, that it's okay, no, no fault of yours, but I'm gonna die in about 20 minutes if you don't. So they set me in, they pulled the teeth and they were like, oh my God, don't breathe, don't breathe. That was the most toxic thing they'd ever smelled. So anyways, I lived to tell this tale. And on my way back home, I was so happy to be alive. I decided to walk through Berkeley and just you know cherish life. And there was Harold and he enlightened me to the fact that Blind Illusion was in the murder in the front row book. And I was like, oh, great. And he said, hey, man, I really want to jam. I'm the bass player for DRI. And later I thought, he must have meant he was the, the roadie for DRI. Because I always thought of Harold as a photographer, you know? Mm -hmm. He was always on the scene. But then I remembered, oh, wait, he had his band in Hayland and, and stuff like that. So anyways, make a short story long. <laughs> the original Blind Illusion drummer, Brett Hearn, returned to the fold and played one last gig with Blind Illusion. And then he left the band mm. because okay. Danny left the band. And right then immediately I called Harold and said, Hey man, you know, I'm not going behind anybody's back. The bass player left. So you want, you want, I would never ask you to quit DRI. I mean, that's like having Disneyland in your backyard, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but would you like to play in Blind Illusion also? And he says, that's what I've been dreaming of. Just like that. I was like, whoa. It was like I asked him out on a date or something, you know? So he, he made me play everything that he wanted to hear, which was Smash the Crystal, Death Noise, Blood Shout, everything from the Sane Asylum, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, when we finished playing Smash the Crystal, he just he looked at me like, I can't believe I just played Smash the Crystal with Mark Peterman. Wow, man, this guy's a trip, man. And, you know, I had no realization all those years that I was in the lost years playing all the hippie rock, you know. Mm -hmm. I had no clue that we were still going, you know, that mm -hmm. the same asylum had made such an impact. McBean was always telling me that, but I just thought he was trying to make me feel good, you know. Sure. So mm -hmm. next thing that happens is Harold cannot go on tour. So... <sighs> Well, we're looking for a bass player, I guess, for on tour, but we decided, you know, we had been wanting Doug for a long time. I'd been, you know, totally trying to get him in to come and play, you know, but he he just, he's very busy with his everything. And, you know, it was a very big move to, you know, he knows he cannot tame the Biederman, but what he doesn't realize is he's the, you know, he's the, the genius Savage that can actually, you know, 
keep me in check because I got somebody right there on my insanity level who was actually smarter than me, you know? So yeah, I look up to this guy, you know? And uh, so when he showed up, he, he, all this big gear and all this things, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. See, this guy, this is a real fucking guitar player. You know, I just plug in and play, you know, this, I said, Doug, tonight, we're just going to play race with the wizard and something else. And I said, all I want you to do is play lead guitar. You don't have to play one chord and you'll never make a mistake. And always remember, if you don't play, you're not making a mistake. So he's like, well, I never thought of that. That's pretty true. So he, he argued the point like, well, I can't play during your vocals. I said, oh, you must. You know, look at Cream, look at, look at Eric Clapton. They're always playing guitars while the singing is going on. And so he's looking at me like I'm just, he knows I'm crazy and he knows he can't, you know, really can't talk me out of it. He might be able to talk me down a little bit, but nonetheless, we started with the race with the wizard and he's looking around and he just started doing, oh, you know, oh. I showed him a little bit of something like, well, you know, you're going to want to just play in here and here, you know, and, you know, a, e harmonic, a harmonic minor with the E root. And so he just destroyed it, man. I mean, it's just like, no, was like hey, hey, only Roth, can you come play some lead for me? <laughs> why, why don't you just play some scales for me, you know? And he did. And then we played a gig like the next night and he played two songs with us. And that was Harold's last gig. And we, and then Tom came along because of Doug and Sire was always a hired gun at, you know, for real the whole time. I mean, because from day one, he was like, I mean, you, know, you can't put my name on the records or anything like that. So, you know, so I never even called him by his name. It was like, I, I got to start right here. You know? So mm -hmm. Sire was a great dude, man. Great drummer. He really helped us out along the way. And, you know, it was a very interesting learning tool for me. I had to learn how to speak to him and how to understand what he was saying because his insanity was not a disciplined insanity like mine. It was like, whoa, okay, well, interesting. So we ran into Andy Galen at the rehearsal space and in my mind, I was thinking, damn, I want to ask him right now, you know, but I don't want to hurt the butler's feelings and I don't want to, you know, go behind Sire's back, but uh, I'll just wait, you know, I've waited. So eventually the day came and uh, the way it really happened was I read in Facebook, oh, Ghost Next Door says, oh, we're sorry to announce that we've lost uh, two of our members. It's so, so sad we're parting with them. And so I called him up and said, hey, man, you got Andy's number? And I called Andy and said, hey, man, I just want you to know you got a place with us. you got a home in Blind Illusion. You're in the band. Sight, sound unsealed. No audition. We know what you can do. You can do anything. And he was like, what, 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 what's going on? <laughs> I said, oh, and he said, wait a second. I'm getting a call. I think this is how the story went. I'm getting a call. And he comes back and he goes, oh, that was my friend. He just said, yeah, he, he read what was on Facebook. And I'm, you know, I, I got to think about this. I was like, well, Andy, I'm telling you, you come with us. He goes, well, you know, if you had to ask me before I joined the ghost next door, I would have came with you guys. I said, yeah, all the more reason to know that you have a place with us now that, because next door was just an inconvenient little, you know, space holder. Mm -hmm. So we uh, courted him by going to all of his gigs, his butler's gigs, his gig with uh, the ghost next door, hooping and hollering, you know, and uh, right there in backstage, I was like, Andy, man, you're going to have to play, some, play a song on the, on the album with us. We've got the drum spiral. 
we've got like, you know, this, we got like three or four drummers that are going to play a song each. That was the plan because we did not have a solid drum. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to do that. And then, uh, one another thing came. Another thing came. Uh, did I answer your question? Yeah, I answered it and, and then some, absolutely. <laughs> the final gig was, he was doing the Kiss Destroyer gig, and right before he went on stage, I said, backstage, I said, hey, Andy, will you do the whole Wrath of the Gods album with us? He says, yeah. And wow, the Earthship man is in the corner. A whole set of drums fell to the ground, and the cymbals smashing, he goes, wow, I guess the gods have spoke, you know, and then he went on and played, and the rest is history. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, yeah, let's get into the uh, the new record, Wrath of the Gods. Let's talk about a few of the singles that you got out so far from the record. Uh, the first single that came out earlier in the year, Straight as the Crowbar Flies, just monster riffs throughout that whole song, some great leads in between. That that main riff on that song just absolutely sticks in, in your head. It just doesn't go away. Uh, definitely just one of those kind of songs. that It really lets, I think, the listeners know that this is – a record that's going to be much different than the Saint Asylum or any of the tracks you put out since. So I guess, guys, talk about that track, how it came together, as well as the video, which I saw was also the first official video the band's put out in, I think, over four decades. I have done a whole lot of, you know, low-quality videos, you know, some very interesting things, you know. But uh, as far as anything with actual credits rolling and monikers and, you know, real shots, you know, professionally, $1,000 cameras, lighting, producer. And incredible acting. <laughs> yeah, incredible acting. <laughs> this, this was not <laughs> acting. Professionals. All they do is come at me with a needle and I go, oh, definitely afraid of needles. Yeah, well, you were tied up, so it was all good. The, with the crowbar video, uh, actually, we had our friend George Anderson come and film us playing, and it was literally the first time we ever played live with Andy on drums. And okay. we were down at Soundwave Studios in Oakland here, and he just came in and set up, and we kind of rehearsed and and played a set of music, and then we rehashed the the actual song for the video like about ten times or something like that, so they could get the shots of us to edit it all together. And then later on, we went, me and Mark and went up and uh, filmed the stuff with the, the belly dancer and him dancing on the, the Lotus petals and, and mm -hmm. uh, him floating with a silver cord attached to him and all that. Yeah. Uh, and it was all written out. We, we wrote the, the ideas out on a, on a storyboard and, and it all came together. It yeah, was great. George is really good about being, um, I guess you could, I mean, how would you say it's professional obviously, but, He's very into being uh, traditional about making sure the storyboard is correct and set up so that, I mean, he approaches the video making um, really, uh, how should I say, just it's one step after another and he knocks them all the way through. And then when everything is in the can, he just edits, it's, edits it all up and it's all kind of uh, pretty easy to deal with at that point. It's pretty awesome. It's, it's nice to have a real pro doing the visuals. Mm -hmm. The visual yeah, master, you know, I, I I give him all these ideas that are all these far fetched. Well, yeah, you know, the lyric says, uh, "This the, the legend, this legend now known as music born recital." I came dancing out the womb, singing natural soprano. Uh, so I, I, know. Wanted, and then, I and then he started writing it. 
So, so like he would just write the storyboard and you would just do all the talking. It was all perfect. <laughs> and then and so he he made the realization of me being born, coming out, dancing out of the womb, singing natural soprano. And I told him, and I want to be walking on the lotus petals like the Buddha when he was born. And he's like, Oh, that's great. We can do that. I was like, well, how are you gonna do yeah. that? And he did it, you know. Oh yeah. It was great when we, we showed up in the uh the belly dancer that was in the video was the actress in it was her studio where we were doing the filming at and she's okay. like which one of you is my son i'm here to birth you today uh, she had a great sense of humor she was funny Well, you guys obviously also just put out a second video and single for Proto Molecule. Uh, tones, you know, the, on that song, the the riff is riffs are toned down just a tad. It gets a bit more groovy, sort of a hard rock classic metal vibe to it. Uh, kind of the same essence as the track just behind it on the record too, spaced. So, I mean, as songwriters, I mean, how important is it really, especially on an album like this where you are really, you know, full throttle fresh on most of the record? How important is it to not just to bang out those heavy riffs? And those thrashy tracks, but also to kind of balance it out with a couple of more of the heavy hard rocking tracks like the two I just mentioned, and to still sort of remain a band that continues to experiment, obviously, with other styles of metal. Well, realistically, it's all very metal. Okay. Some even the songs that are rock are still very metal. I mean, mm -hmm. most rock songs, you know, don't do that, you know. It's very heavy, but it's also very much fusion, you know. It's more fusion than just rock. I would say it's a hard rock metal fusion thing. And then mm. the other one, No Resto Budapest, well, that's just uncategorizable. It's, you know, mm. a hard rock song very rarely does seven, four, and five, four, you know, and all these, you know, classical changes with bass that, solos. And that's you know, due to all of us having a, a long background um, in progressive and in. in avant-garde types of music and interests i mean king crimson plays a role rush plays a role you know when i in my formative years i was listening to a lot of alan holdsworth and jean-luc ponty and uh you know putting putting that to black sabbath 
kind of sounds and the whole thing is a big mishmash and after all these years it's kind of it comes really really natural just to let everything kind of shine somewhat everything we've learned along the way and that's kind of what you're hearing that's why the song space sounds the way it does and we have the proto-molecule type of riffing which is you know influenced by all sorts of like you know like the rainbow kind of metal stuff and all sorts of i mean it's coming from all over the place you know a lot of the drum fills are neil pert uh influenced uh the song design is kind of classic barrier metal in a lot of ways Mm-hmm. Um, however, it won't stop us from just like throwing some crazy idea right into something to make it, you know, very special and different too. So there's that, and uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, we're always really eager to try things, and you know, some things work, some things some things stick, and some things don't, and uh, it's it's just a lot of material to grab from. So we're kind of like having fun playing with all of it and everything's going i mean it's like you can hear there's a lot of bands that just every song kind of does sound the same i mean and uh, you know the same kind of structure same sort of tone everybody's playing on 10 um the dynamics you know aren't there whereas we enjoy using dynamics it's really fun to just like turn everything down to zero and it's like still play kind of cool and then you can obviously turn everything up to 10 and dynamically make everything kind of move and feel and it's uh, it's incredible. It's a lot of fun. It's say, yeah, zero. <laughs> with the uh, with everybody in this band being very good at their instrument, we can just come up with any ideas and bounce them off the band, and and they can be turned into something great. You know, mm-hmm. crash and burn. But it's like experimentation is definitely welcomed by everybody in this band for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is the first time that Blind Illusion has achieved equal standing amongst all members. Nobody's having to fight to get their song in because everything is great that they're bringing to the table. In the past, some, you know, some great musician, but a joker of a songwriter comes along and says, I got this, you know, song. And it's like, okay, you know, drummer brings a song and we, we played it, we recorded it, you know, and it was okay. But mm-hmm. it was, that, that was back in the funk days, you know, where it was Blind Illusion, uh, the in league with the sun and shock of birth, which was the best of the lost years, as I call it. That was okay. like Led Zeppelin eats the chili peppers, you know, but uh, yeah. really good stuff.
Well, yeah, talking about speaking of band members, I mean, you know, obviously Blind Illusion is no stranger to featuring well-known Bay Area metal musicians in the lineup over the years. Obviously, now with with Tom, Doug, and Andy, obviously, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, is familiar with those, with, with those guys. But also, you've had obviously Dave White from Heathen, uh, Metal Church guitarist John Marshall was in there. Obviously, Les Claypool and Larry Lalonde. But Primus, I mean, when you look back, you know, at the previous members of the band and bands in the '80s, I mean, did it seem like Wine Illusion was sort of like the the, the farm team, if you want to call it that, you know? Well, well actually, Wine you know? has a farm team, and that's the players that are on deck learning the songs. But you know, it's more of a Wine uh, Illusion is more of a musical institution where people okay, come. Uh, they're great players to begin with, but they come and they're like. What are you doing? Oh, my, oh, now I'm inspired to do this and write that. And so, like Brian Kehoe, he is an amazing guitar player. But when he left Blind Illusion, he also left behind some chords and progressions that went on top of what I did. And he uh, he had new songs that he had written off of the tonalities that I had, you know, brought to him. And so that you know, interesting Same thing, thing. Like with, with John Marshall, uh, that song. Met metamorphosis of a monster is got some incredible riffing in it and oh, yeah. i really enjoy playing that song because it turns out that some of the riffs i really enjoy playing were written by john by john marshall which is kind of fun and so like i i kind of throw my little twist at it but it's basically i try to pay homage to john because it's a great riff yeah john wrote the uh the uh riff that goes i don't know if you can hear that yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That part is particularly refreshing. You know? Amazing. Yeah, and so like, you, know, you gotta you gotta be respectful of all the good stuff that was brought to the band, and so there's that. So that's fun. Absolutely. And you know, and the thing is, after you know, I know after the saying this album obviously came out. I mean, unfortunately, obviously, timing probably wasn't the the best at the time because obviously, not too long after that, thrash metal was on its way out in the late eighties when grunge came on board and, you know, the more slow the mid-tempo approach of rock and metal was taking hold. Um, I mean, so Mark, I mean, the fact that thrash metal was on its way out, you know, in the late eighties, the early nineties and the younger generation of hard rock and metal fans, you know, were, were turning away from it more into, like I said, grunge and more groove metal type of stuff. I mean, at that time, did you look at, at that really with blind illusion as it was sort of, I, right, maybe this is the writing on the wall that blind illusion might be done. Did you ever think that, you know, it was going to be done for good like a lot of other other stored or you know were you always just gonna keep this thing going eventually no matter what when any new member that comes to you to play in blind illusion says oh, i don't want to play anything from the sane asylum you send them on their way but when the yeah. tenth one, by the time the 10th <laughs> one comes through you start writing songs with them and see what they can bring to the plate you know mm. so the lost years actually produced some very high level quality music and some great recordings that mm -hmm. I would like to uh, release. You know, some of those things you can find on YouTube, Land of the Freaks, you know, amazing, amazing lineup. Uh, Mark Needham from the Sane Asylum, he engineered it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we spent the money, you know, but the drummer, uh, Albert Simmons on that project, he was a Grateful Dead fan, Almond Brothers. And wow. he confided in me on the night that I actually, I asked, him to uh not return to rehearsal after the gig and mm -hmm. i told his girlfriend catherine she's out of the band because <laughs> she was ruling his life albert will not play anything from the saint of he will not play metal so the, the final night we're playing the other one 
from the Grateful Dead. I started playing the other one, and then I whipped right into the sane asylum, and he just flowed into it. And she ran out of the place. You know, I was laughing, but I said, "Hey, Albert, man, that was really cool. You played the sane asylum and the other one. The, the other one's your favorite song." And he goes, "Mark, I got to tell you, I never really know what song we're playing. I just jam along with you. I follow what's going on, and I, I just love to jam." That's <laughs> like, wow. Man, wow, what a what a strange time. So you I don't need to go back. Catherine I was living in Europe and, and right. listening to bands like, you know, everybody from Propane to Pantera oh. to the organization would come play at the Dynamo and we'd go there. And, you know, I mean, that's when I saw like, oh, God, you know, the uh, nail bomb after mm. after Max mm. left the Sepultura thing. You know, mm. there it was a lot of interesting, unusual situations going on in Europe. Meanwhile, Mark was doing his thing with. <laughs> what we just what he just described that was mm. wow amazing i was just, but it was really interesting to to get over and see new horizons over there and and you know musically too it was uh, a very interesting time the 90s you know mm. yeah 1991 i i got into this like instrumental progressive rock band and it was like rush you know Van Halen, Satriani kind of stuff. Oh, and then, of that's, course, that's a demo. Yeah, that's, that's great. Right. Right. When grunge became the most popular thing in the world and everybody just like, you guys play too many notes. Yeah. yeah too yeah, many yeah. notes. We don't mm. want to hear this. So. And, it, and it's great. I mean, it's yeah. really it's it's killer. But, you know, it wasn't for the time. Not for the time. Yeah. Amazing. I can totally see yeah. how that that is. And definitely surgeons right now in. in so, in yeah, it was right yeah. Now. yeah. Yeah. Why, mm -hmm. why it actually worked out perfectly where we were able to make this album and and all the big bands of the area, the Bay Area at least, are off doing everything. It, it, it's oh, yeah. kind of a great time for us to be doing this, and we love it. It's the music I mean, that comes from our heart. Looking back, the 90s, everybody kind of went on hiatus. Not everybody, but a lot of the bands from, you know, the Bay Area bands that we know uh, and, you know, all know and love kind of uh, took moments, you know, long periods of time in between records and kind of started doing other stuff and it wasn't until towards the end like in 2000s that bands kind of came back together there was that big show in uh san francisco for chuck billy the oh, benefit yeah. of the Flash of the titans or whatever it was mm -hmm. and uh uh or tales of the pit or i can't remember what they called it. i wasn't here the titans. I, I, titans, that was a big yeah. deal because it brought a lot of the bands together again yeah. so they said hey what's up we haven't jammed for 10 years you know and mm -hmm. that was like an interesting time uh, for that's kind of like when a lot of the bands started playing again, you know, after their hiatus, and uh, mm -hmm. then they kept playing and touring, and they discovered, whoa, we can like, you know, now we have now we have the Beer Strikes Back tour tour mm -hmm. that just did Europe again, and it's pretty cool, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, like Doug, you said, you know, you move you moved out of the country. Um, when you, oh, yeah. I mean, did did you come back? Because you saw maybe a sort of, you know, you were able to, to, to you know, people were getting interested again in, in Thrash or what, what no, was it no, music no, related no. or? Okay. No, it was family stuff. Um, oh, okay. Okay. It was time to come back. I needed to help my dad out with the houses. And, you okay. know, he had some house. We have some family real estate in San Francisco and he's, he was getting, you know, up there. It's like in his eighties and, you know, I'm the, his first son. So I, I kind of, uh, that was important to, you know, come back for the family and, and kind of do that. I wasn't really doing anything in Europe. We were doing, I was doing demos and kind of jamming with some guys, but it wasn't doing so much musically. 
and just building race cars and doing engineering stuff. And then I just moved, we as a family moved back to San Francisco and uh, in 2006. Okay. So I've been back since 2006. And uh, once you're back, then everybody says, oh, wow, Doug Pusey's back. I'm, let's call him and do this. You know, <laughs> let's play with this baby. Let's get heathen. You know, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it was all these like little gigs. We had to go reunion things. And it was fun. You know, we got to play all the old songs. And Two things. When I first saw Doug and Ambo Chorus, I said to myself, man, that guy is the total counterpart to my style. He and Thane kind of, you know, they, they destroyed everybody because they're two great players, but they both used effects, you know? And so Thane's was totally soup, whereas Doug's is like, you know, vinaigrette and wine. You know, it's not like a bunch of on it, you know, and not to take away from Thane. He's a very great player, but he sounds like five guitar players because he uses a lot of echo and delay. So uh, interesting thing is I met Doug's father, you know, and he gave us this logo right here oh, wow, he designed okay. this logo for us because we were, wow. we're playing the keystone berkeley hi dad Doug's, <laughs> Doug's dad and calls me up and says i would like you to and your you know friends or well, you, you and your band come over for dinner and a nice chat you know a meeting about this big gig at the keystone berkeley i mean they spent like a thousand dollars on a huge ad and everything i mean these guys were they did it you know they were doing it as they went along so yeah, I went out there you. with my girlfriend and uh, I remember Jerry Finelli's like, she's just a baby. She was like 16 years old. You know, I was like 20. Yeah, she's just a baby. Like, what are you doing? Right, man, you know, whatever, man. You know, but uh, Doug's dad was like, now I know you guys, you know, are very similar in the fact that you don't just play chunk of metal. You, you guys are very musical, you know, and my son's band, We'll be playing after you. And I just want to ensure that you guys are going to be friends with them so that you stay and hang out with the band and listen so that your crowd doesn't just leave before they play. And in order to preserve and in order to commune uh, properly and make this happen, I want to present you with this $500 logo. <laughs> five hundred dollar logo, and he wasn't kidding because if we wanted to put it in Bam Magazine, it would have cost five hundred dollars. So, that was my dad's yeah. better call song moment. Doug's <laughs> dad is very, very tactful. I mean, that guy, big tall lawyer dude, man. You know, yeah, and, uh, he's just a gas. And, you know, when, when Doug came back from Germany and we got together, I said, "Hey, man, you know what's up with your dad?" And he's like, "Well, well you know, my dad's like, yeah, man." Blah 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 blah. You know, and Doug was like, "Well, you know." Doug and I were drinking buddies back then as well as music buddies. So he didn't have a recollection of it. But we were there at the house, you know, we, we sat around the table. I'm pretty sure you were there, Doug. Maybe you weren't. Oh, I'm sure I, mean, I, was I there. saw the, I saw the beds that he created where you know, Doug's dad built these domes like spaceships and had the beds mm -hmm. in it. So he closed yeah, it up and that like way, soccer balls. you know, the freezing cold didn't get you, you know, <laughs> freezing cold water beds. I even have the book that Doug's dad wrote. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Dig this. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought when Doug gave it to me, I thought he was trying to send me a message like, you know, uh, like something about the Hells Angels. Because, I mean, it says the Death oh Ed Mine. It's you know, the Death Ed, that's the Hells Angels logo, you know. Wow. Like, oh, Doug, you know. But, you know, I mean, you don't talk club business if you're not in the club. So I just kept my mouth shut. Now, here I am on national TV. And. 
I support all my local Hells Angels. Definitely. Awesome. That was great, Mark. I didn't know you had the book right there. <laughs> I even asked uh, my friend. Have you read uh, it? As you gotta read it. Well, I, I, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Very, it's uh, set in a specific time. It's a time period piece, you know? Yeah, it's, it's actually like, many. It's multiple generations in Mexico. Yeah, it's pretty, okay. it's pretty amazing. It's it's uh, well thought through. It would make a great Clint Eastwood movie, or with Charles Bronson and Lee Marvin. It would make an excellent western, no question about it. I mean, everything's there: hot women, really cool engineering. It's all there. That's crazy. I mean, right, right away. There's like a Komodo dragon or something in there, or a, what, <laughs> I don't recall that, but like a huge iguana or something. You know, one of those very, uh, you know, very deadly reptiles. Come, you know, this, this relaxing and scene running across. And it's like, whoa, uh, dude, I got I so spooked right then. I put the book down because I was like, Ugh, I don't like snakes and uh, reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes uh, my eyes hurt. And, and, and the only books I ever read in my life were, to begin with, album cover liner notes and up and down with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles books. And that was it. You know, I never read anything until I was a uh, jailed for a while then i read little mm -hmm. big man and all of the good shit all the harry potter books awesome awesome <laughs> potter in jail well we, we got a lot of info on doug's dad that's uh <laughs> well, doug's dad is amazing I mean, look at doug i mean look at him he's a lord you know he's got it's like when when you ask why he came back in my mind i was like well because he's a lord he has the property he has to tend to his businesses no. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah, you gotta dig that gold. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, but well, that, that, uh, that was. Uh, that's why I came back, and it's good to be strong with your family. Sure, absolutely, no doubt. Well, you know, uh, I'm just going to bring something up you guys talked about before. Uh, Murder in the Front uh, Row. And, we, you know, we've seen over the last few years, we've seen some great documentaries come out about the Barrier Thresh scene from the 80s. Uh, obviously, that was the big one. But there was also another one that came out as well that was directed by a, a good buddy of mine, Bob Nalbany, called Bay Area Godfathers. Doug, I know oh, yeah. you were. You were in that, I know. Um, and I obviously focused less really on the scene in the mid-80s and really concentrated more on a lot of the bands and the scene that was, you know, prior to that. Um in the late like 70s early 80s obviously before metallica moved up here and you know obviously blew up the whole you know helped blew up the whole scene obviously doug your band you know anvil chorus broke his helm stone vengeance vicious rumors right. much more of a power metal sort of scene scene like before thresh took over and blind delusion you guys were obviously in full force at the time too and i guess my question is i mean do you think you know it it Maybe, you know, because it took obviously a long time for, for Blind Illusion to get that, you know, that deal with combat. Did it hurt maybe the band in, in the early days in terms of getting more early recognition from labels and the music press, especially in those early days of Thresh? Because 
you guys at Blind Delusion, you guys were always a bit different, obviously, than everyone else. I mean, you guys never really completely sort of capitulated to the just a full-on thrash sound that was going on, you know, during the heyday. Um, because I mean, yeah, like I said, the fact that it took 10 years to to get signed, I would I would certainly think it had nothing obviously to do with the musicianship or, or your your skills as a as you know musicians. I think it had a lot of the fact to do that maybe labels didn't know really how to market a band like Blind Illusion from back then, which because it was so unique and you know such a different style than the rest of the thrash metal peers. Well, here's the truth, sir. Mm -hmm. In 1979, we did this these demos where we went into the studio and our manager says, hey, we're going to, you know, we're paying for this. We were all 16 years old. We had Death Noise, Kamikaze, and all these songs, and we recorded them all live because, you know, they tried to get me to do this scratch track, and it just made no sense to me. And it still makes no sense today the way they wanted me to do it. They wanted me to you know, have the guitar tone real plinkety plink and clean so it doesn't bleed on anything. It's like, man, put that thing in another room. How's my drummer going to play metal if the guitar isn't in his ears? And they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and you can't use the second bass drum. And and what are you doing? My, what are you doing running the bass just direct? You know, I mean, when I played the bass, I was all this click was going on because I played bass on one song. And uh, they're trying to tell me I had to learn a new technique and i said hey i learned my technique from geezer butler okay you, you know you gotta mic the amp and so i left the, the studio came back and jumped up kicked the ceiling and said oh, here's how we're gonna do it we're gonna record the whole set live my way and then we'll do all the overdubs your way four songs no problem or we're out of here you know there's no point in wasting my time they said okay so the result was Augie Bloom from Rounder Records got a hold of our demo from Lisa Trulin, who was Lisa Carr, KTIM AM, all hard, no soft, and he was freaking on fire. Okay, now this you got to realize we had a song Rockers Unite, and Def Leppard came out with Wasted, and it was very similar. And mm -hmm. we we're just shitting bricks because these kids are already out there, and well, we're getting this chance from Rounder Records. And you know what he said? He says, Man, you guys. Oh, that song, Who Am I? Oh, it's just, it's golden. If you write 10 more songs like that and only this guy sing, I'll sign you to Rounder Records. And that's how Cliff learned this. <laughs> <laughs> we told him, no, you know, I'm not going to do, a, Blind Illusion's first album will be Kamikaze and Death Noise, period, and whatever else is with it, you know? And Who Am I? Yes, it's a great song. And, uh, you know, everybody comes to me and said, Oasis ripped it off. And when this ripped off, I meant just straight from Zeppelin to me, you know, so it doesn't matter. Zeppelin and Rush. But uh, basically, we refused to just bend the knee to the sound that Metallica brought. I mean, I, okay. I was blown away because this was like Exodus meets Black Flag and the Dead Kennedys. Okay. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we were, we were pushing the, the 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 amps, you know, the, the sound things. It was it was just so much energy going on, you know, and that really wasn't uh, a problem for me because we had songs that were fast like that, but not everything, you know. And mm -hmm. basically, when Mike Minor joined, he was the guy who went dab 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 because you know he he was he grew up on Lars, I grew up on Sabbath, he grew up on Metallica, so mm -hmm. he brought the thrash right immediately. 
to Blind Illusion. So whereas Cry the Banshee would have been boom da 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 you know that's how Nystrom would have played it. That's how many people would have played it. You know, but Mike Minor played it the way Lars would play it, or Tom Hunting, and that was boom You know, a whole lot of beats going on. So, and then basically. Metallica got us signed, you know, because when here's an interesting story. I don't know how much time you got this. One day, Kirk calls me up and says, Hey, Mark, I got to ask you for your advice. And whatever you say, I'm going with, but you cannot tell anybody. I said, Okay, what? Metallica asked me to join their band. I said, Wow, that's amazing. I said, I, I was watching him and I was thinking, Man, these guys are so much like Exodus, you know? And he mm-hmm. says, You really think they're like Exodus? I said, Well, not really, but yeah, you know, you're a perfect fit. And I said, you know, you you could you should do it if they are they get do they have a record deal? He says, yeah. I said, man, go for it, you know. And if you don't, what's their number, you know? <laughs> He's like, oh man. And I told him, you know, I'm going to tell you what Lenny Gourlay told me, my guitar mentor. Mm-hmm. You, one day you're going to have to leave your friends behind because you're so good, and not everybody is as good as you, and you're moving at a very fast rate. A real band is going to come along and ask you to join, and you have to leave. You can always come back and help them. So that's what I told Kirk. I said, it does not apply to me. It applies to you. And he said, wow. And so he did. He came back. He helped us get the deal with Music for Nations. You know, he walked our demos mm-hmm. right into them. And uh, that was the day uh, my brother comes up and says, hey, Mark, some guy from England is calling on the phone. It's like five in the morning, six in the morning. He goes, hello, London calling. And I'm like, whoa, London calling. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> so, this is Mark uh, from Music for Nations. Uh, uh, on flag, uh, or, uh, we think Metallica is uh, the Sabbath of the 80s, and Blind Illusion may, may very well be the Zeppelin. And we would like to hear more from you. Oh, okay. So they have the Trilogy of Terror and Blood Shower. The Blood Shower Smash the Crystal demo is what made them call. The stuff with Dave, Dave White, amazing vocalist. You put him together with Doug, you got, you know, amazing. Heathen. You got Oxy. <laughs> you got Heathen. So I was so happy they did that because, you know, I thought Dave was going to kill me for firing him, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thing was, I didn't fire him. Everybody else did, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just Gino came to me and said, man, we got to be more metal, more metal, man. You know, it's like, Dave's got to go. You got to sing. You know, you, you can sing like James or something, you know. You, you sing a lot of stuff anyways. And, you know, I'm like, dude, you know, I always wanted to be the singer ever since I was five years old. I have to do this. He's like, yeah. So he was my Kung Fu brother, you know, older than me, Japanese guy. So I had to listen to him, you know? And uh, so thing was, is uh, that trilogy of terror demo, man, everybody loved it. But you know, you know what people set up when we took it on tour with Exodus and I'm throwing them out to people the next day. I was like, wow, man, sounds kind of like, Motley Crue, or uh, what was it? Was the other guy? Uh, what's the vocal? Was that was that it? Motley Crue, right? Lynch Neil. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, when, when Gino said he's got to go, I was like, thank God, because you know <laughs> he's one of my best friends forever. And Vince Neil is a great singer for Motley Crue, you know. But I always, I always likened Dave to being somewhat of a heavy metal Steve Perry. If you had to say, you know, I'm the Greg Rowley. Way it is, isn't it? Yeah, but see, the thing is, when he got with Heathen, he had a wake-up call. I 
don't have to listen to Mark, but I do have to listen to what he said. You know, he, you know, I know I don't have to listen to him because he's not here. But whatever I said, he had to listen to. I mean, I wanted it heavier. He doesn't have, have to listen to Mark. He has to listen to me. <laughs> and well, you were saying exactly what I said. And see, basically, I wrote Blood Shower and Smash the Crystal after the trilogy of terror. And I said, I'm going to sing Blood Bath. Death trap, and you go walking down the madman's path, blah blah blah. You know, and I'll do the blood shower, the poison flower, and he did the thing, and he refused to sing blood shower. Flat out refused it. Thought that direction was nowhere for blind illusion. I thought this is the obvious heaviest we can get. You know, I mean, I wrote that dun -dun 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 on the tour with Exodus up in Canada. You know, Ricky's going, oh man, I, don't show me. I want to hear it. And he's trying to figure it out. She still never figured it out. But the thing was, is when Dave went with Ethan, that was gold, you know? So I was very happy because I knew he was great. He was always great. But um, we got that call right after the Blood Shower Smash the Crystal demo with me singing, you know? I went and took singing lessons from Molly Holm from Voicestra with uh, Bobby McFerrin, a jazz vocalist teacher. And she just was on fire with the demo I played. And she's like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing, you know? And what, people like this? I said, oh, yeah. People, uh, you know, it got played on uh, KUSF radio and people in Europe, you know, ever since the 80s, you know, and she just couldn't believe it. She said, you know, jazz has just got such a small crowd. I mean, you guys are bigger than anything I know already. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of a trip, you know. I mean, our metal is still very, you know, local. But the thing is, is I'm not a businessman. Tom Gears is a businessman. <laughs> I'm not a businessman. I don't care anything about business. I would rather make 10 copies of the demo and give them to people for a joint each as opposed to sending them to a record company. Sending to a record company is going to cost me a manila envelope, the stamp, the, the, the pain and suffering of having to go to the post office, look at like, what are you, what are you, what are you shipping? Drugs? You know? Bombs? You know? So... I never really did that. <laughs> we, we sent out like two <laughs> demos to like people, but the sending it to a record company, I know where it goes. I read the platinum rainbow it goes to the circular file. You know, I mean, back in those days, they wouldn't even bother to call you. They just, you know, ah, this, this is dead. This is nothing. You don't even waste your time on a, a phone call. So that was my, you know, thing. I was basically, uh, I was a dismissive avoidant. <laughs> I was, I just, <laughs> just why even try, you know?
Um, well, guys, now that you got this excellent record coming out, I mean, which trans fans are gonna are gonna love. What's the plan in terms of promoting the wreck? I mean, I know you guys, you guys play around here a lot. I see you playing shows locally, you know, around the Bay Area, Northern California on a consistent basis over the years. Um, and obviously with the music business, obviously being as fucked as it's ever been, you know, and you guys aren't spring chickens, obviously get to get in a van and tour for months. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, will. oh you will. Okay. If is that the plan? A tour, we will go. Okay. All it has to do is be able to make us break even and pay our rent when we're gone. That's no problem. Oh yeah, are you kidding me? We we live for the song. We live for the next riff. We live for the next performance. We live for the next record. That's all. And it's not about the money, but mm -hmm. it is the money. You know, you have to. Sure. You have to break even at least. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of a lot of plans in the works involving the release of the record and what's going to happen right after, right afterwards, and how it's tied all together. So there's a lot of things in the works right now. We just can't quite talk about them just yet. Um, but it's looking pretty exciting. So we'll, we'll just have okay. to see. And, uh, and uh, it will be a little bit more than just breaking even, hopefully. And the previous, you know, 2017, 18, and 19, we, we consistently went over to Europe and played in Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium and started building that up. And then, of course, COVID came and put the brakes on everything, gave us the time to record this album. Now this is coming out October 7th. And uh, We've been doing a ton of interviews. We've got a bunch of ads in in the uh, the European magazines, Rock Hard, everywhere over there, Art Shock, and uh, basically, you know, with that, and we have one festival called Storm Crusher booked already, and we're building a tour around that. So we're definitely going to be over in Europe again, and we're trying to uh, to push a bunch of uh, U.S. stuff as well. So hopefully that all pans out. Yeah, we'll we'll have a lot more to say about this in the next in the coming next month. Or, you yeah, know, the, the reality much. is, all you can do is what, what you can do. Social media, word of mouth, playing gigs, and, you know, I mean, the days of putting posters up on the walls in Oakland and San Francisco, mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not over, you know. Machine Head has a whole billboard in Oakland. Now, I'm not against going to uh, Expressions College for the Digital Arts and saying, hey, uh, can you give us a day or two on your, you know, your... Uh, digital billboard man you know i mean we, they they let us record the whole demon master album there for free a student recorded it mm. engineered it and that's why it sounds like hell but uh but the, there's just a lot more than just like doing old school type postering and and even more than yeah. like school social media drops you know media drops here on, on, on all of our socials mm -hmm. uh there's like i said there's some discussions going on right now as we speak about uh how to break into all new higher levels with all this right now and it's based on okay. strength of the album and um i we're all really looking forward and very eager to having it drop on the, on october 7th and luckily we have a bunch of lifelong musicians who are all able to get out there and tour so but yeah. the god's honest truth the god's honest truth is all we have to do is get a couple of our rock star friends uh we don't have to take them out to dinner but we have to grease their pockets you know if we yeah. gave kirk hammett two thousand dollars he will make a mention that I, I i can guarantee that <laughs> you know we get well, four thousand we get four thousand to produce the same i wouldn't i wouldn't go so far as to say that <laughs> hey, i'm telling you what i would go so far as that the theory isn't incorrect but it's about how and who you know and sure. um, mm -hmm. how to cultivate 
your relationships with various professionals and just work your way up, you know, as a, you know, I mean, a lot of these people we're discussing are the, that have been brought up have been very successful and, you know, they're professional, you know, millionaire oriented people and we need to like deal with them on the same kind of level. So, I mean, it's okay to have like the wild, insane band situation and the structure that presents itself, all this presents itself incredibly well on stage. But when it comes down to actual promotion and techniques used with all these pro booking agencies and so on, uh, we're, you know, it can't really even be done by ourselves. So mm -hmm. like there's discussions on how we're going to be moving into new realms with all this soon, which is excellent and required. Yeah. So, well, yeah. And, you know, to might I add, you know, in the old days, everything I learned about the music business came directly from Kurt because we were very close. Every mm -hmm. time I had new songs, he wanted to be the one to take us in the studio and help produce it. And, you know, he produced Trilogy of Terror. He helped us do the Blood Shower demo. And the last one, the four song demo that got was the final one that got us signed. He was there for the production and John Marshall engineered some. And, you know, then he uh, was on board for the Sane Asylum. We gave him $4,000 and uh, eventually mentioned Bernstein. Their, their lawyers management said, oh, Mr. Blind Illusion, uh, you cannot use our boy's name on your record unless if you give us $10,000. So, yeah, well, the 4000 you gave him was for the work, for the services he provided. That's how they got out of that one. So yeah that's, Anyways, that's the I mean, music business and the bottom luckily, line luckily those days are long ago and well, we're pre proceeding forward with you know pretty much clean slate truth of the matter is you know we're all still great friends we just don't see each other because they had no time i mean the reason why kirk and i parted ways is i told him you know i got word that management said to the band, they sat him down and they said, you boys can no longer hang out with all your friends in other bands and partying and drinking and doing dope. Whatever you're doing, do it with each other. Nobody else. Or you're you're not gonna get our push. You're gonna get replaced, you know, because Kirk and I, you know, we're, we're reckless abandoned, you know? It was like, where's Kirk? Oh, probably off in Sonoma with Biederman, you know, hanging out, doing things, you know? We were having fun all the time. Oh, fantastic. Well, the band is Blind Illusion. New album, Wrath of the Gods, out October 7th on Hammerheart Records. Guys, where can we send the viewers and listeners to keep up with the band and find out more about what's going on with Blind Illusion and just keep it up with the band in general? Where should it go social media-wise and everything? I mean, currently we're, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and and uh, blindillusion.com. That'll be the, the easiest ways to, to keep updated. And I'm on Facebook, Mark Biederman, you know, so they can drop me a, a private message, uh, you know, and it will come to me. And all I have to do is accept it and then give them accept a friend request and whatnot. And I'm very open to everybody in the whole world to contact me. Very cool. That, very that was cool. one of my biggest. If you show up in the middle of nowhere in Germany, as soon as we get out of the van, Mark, Mark, I'm just like, <laughs> how the hell is that even possible? Like, dude. I was lost on my bicycle when I was in Amsterdam for a month, you know, on that after that one tour. And I drove into this area that looked like it was a junior, like a college. They had all these huts and like science buildings. And here comes this guy walking. And I rode up to him. And I said, hey, man, I'm Mark Biederman from this band Blind Illusion. He goes, hey, I have this same asylum. I said, what? I have this same asylum. Yeah, I know you. 
like, wow. <laughs> so I asked directions to how to get back to the Belmer, and he's like, you don't want to go there. And I said, no, nah, it's okay. I'm from Richmond. You know, Filmer's <laughs> tough, but Richmond's way tougher. Uh, awesome. All right. Once again, guys, Blind Illusion, right after the gods, October 7th. Mark, Doug, Tom, thank you guys so much for coming on the show, and uh, good luck on with the, the, the tour and everything that's got, I guess, coming up soon in the album. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Appreciate I'm Mark you, man. we're Blind so Illusion, and this was Aftershocks. That's right. When it's time to rock, it's time to tune in to Crash Course Radio.